so this morning, I want to begin my sermon uh, a little bit differently. Um, you know, whenever I'm preparing for a sermon, uh, there's a lot of work that actually goes into it, if you didn't know. Uh, you know, first I open up the Bible, and then, you know, I'm, I'm praying. Uh, then I might open up some other books to see what some other people who are way smarter than me uh, might say about this particular uh, passage of Scripture that I'm studying. Uh, and then when I, I think I have an idea of what, you know, the, the Bible is trying to say— then I think, you know, how, how does this connect with, with our world? How does this connect with our lives? And so um, how does this speak a word to or, or against it? And uh, so that's when I usually open up Google. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's the point in the process where uh, my imagination and, let's say, uh, the plethora of creative content uh, that is available at my fingertips sometimes just collide and something crazy, usually not beautiful, but just crazy happens. Um, and so uh, when you hear my sermon, you, you actually only hear about 10% of the information that I've amassed throughout the week, and you never hear the other 90%. Uh, so today I figured I'd share just a little bit of that 90% with you all. So on Thursday... Break out my Bible. I'm praying. I'm, you know, looking at some other books of people what they've said about this passage of scripture. Then I open up Google and I start uh, watching videos of interviews with Charlie Sheen. Because I had this idea in my mind of where I wanted to go, but I just couldn't quite connect the dots. And then Charlie Sheen popped up on my computer screen, and so there it was. Don't worry, we're going to get to a good place by the end of this thing, okay? Um, so if you don't know, Charlie Sheen, he's, uh, he's an actor who had a very successful career for many years, most notably his, uh, his role on the sitcom Two and a Half Men. Uh, but then that show was canceled because, uh, well, for lack of a better term, Charlie had a psychotic breakdown uh, when he relapsed back into drug and alcohol abuse. And during that time of his relapse, it, it was very public. I mean, he, he wanted to be interviewed by all the news stations and, and all of this. You might remember some of those from about 2011 or so. And in all of those interviews, Charlie kind of came up with this like catchphrase for himself. It was called winning. And he just kept saying over and over again that he's winning, that he's a winner. As his life is like spiraling down the tubes, he just keeps saying, I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm a winner, I'm a winner. And, you know, people caught on to the irony of this, and, uh, and they made a hashtag out of it, hashtag winning. For those of you who don't know what a hashtag is, it's the pound sign uh, that's just used in social media to attract attention. So they came up with a hashtag for it, you know, hashtag winning, and it actually redefined the term winning in American pop culture. Now, we all know the original definition of winning. To win something means to be victorious. Uh, but Charlie Sheen gave a new meaning to the word winning by using it as his catchphrase during this time of his life. And so uh, here's an excerpt from, uh, from Time Magazine. These are not my words. These are theirs. Uh, but it, it says this. It says, uh, Charlie Sheen had solidified a definition for the term that goes something like this. Winning, participating in an ostensibly drug-induced, highly public flameout during which one loses an incredibly lucrative job and subsequently the respect of the American people or, more succinctly, winning 
losing. That winning just equals losing. And so pop culture kind of caught on to what was happening with Charlie Sheen and his life and this whole winning thing and made a hashtag out of it so that, you know, when you, uh, you know, fail a test, it's hashtag winning. When you burn dinner, hashtag winning. When you, uh, you know, crash your car, hashtag winning. Seriously, y'all, my generation, I just don't know what to do with us sometimes. Uh, but but, but here, here's why I bring it up. Not only uh, does Charlie's story have a good ending, if you didn't know, uh, a couple months ago, Charlie had announced that uh, he's been sober for over a year. And so that's great news. Thanks be to God for that. Uh, but here's also why I tell you this kind of dramatic story, is that the real irony of this whole winning thing is, is that so often, I think, so often we confuse losing with winning. Maybe not in such a dramatic way, but we do confuse losing with winning. And the reason why is that so often we haven't, we haven't first defined what it means to win, what, what the win is, that we don't know what it means to win something because we, we haven't set the target, <laughs> that we, we don't know what the goal is. And so here's the question I, I, want, I want you all to go home and think about. If you hear nothing else uh, from me this, this morning, uh, just take this question and go home with you. It's just, I think, good practical advice uh, for you to think about. And, and here's the question. What's the win? What's the win? Then in every area of your life, just, just to ask that question, what's the win? I mean, what's, what's the win for me financially? What, what's the win for, for my relationship, for, for my marriage, for my friendships? What does it look like for me to win as a parent? What does it look like for me to, to win in my spiritual life? What does it look like for me to win in my job? Because it's difficult to know if you're winning at something if you don't actually know what the win is. And when you haven't clearly identified what the win is, you don't know where to begin. And when you don't know where the target is, well, you don't, you don't know what to aim for. And so here's, here's what we so often do, because we haven't set up the target. We, we don't know what the goal is. We, we don't know what the win is. Is that by default, we just assume that, that not losing is winning, that if I got my paycheck and I didn't get fired this week, then hey, I'm winning. <laughs> my wife didn't make me go sleep on the couch this week. Hashtag winning, right? <laughs> my kids were somewhat well-behaved and didn't speak back that much to me this week. Well, I'm winning. I didn't go further into debt this week. That's a win. And you know, those, those are all good things. Those are all things that, that we should be striving for. But is not losing really winning, you know, it's kind of like we shoot first, and then we go and draw a target around wherever the arrow lands, and we say, bullseye. <laughs> and, 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 and for those of us, those of us who are Jesus followers, this is a really important question, because what, what does a win look like in light of our Christian convictions? What does, a, what does a win look like in light of our Christian convictions? Because that question changes for us, right? What does a win look like for me financially? Is it, is it just to not go further into debt this week? That's good, that's good. But maybe it's also to, 
be content with what you have to get to a place where you can also give joyfully, not out of pain? Was it, what does it look like for you to win as a parent? Maybe it's not just to have well-educated and well-behaved kids. That's good. That's fine. But also that your children know that they're loved by you, that they're loved by God, that they're capable of, of loving other people. I, I can't define what the win is for any area of your life. I, I can't do that. I, I can't set up the target for you. But what I do hope that I can help do is I hope that I can help you uh, focus your aim. And to do that, I, I want us to turn our attention to Jesus because uh, I think Jesus was the expert at life. You know, even if you don't agree that Jesus was the Son of God and all this other stuff that Christians believe, I, I think that we could all agree that, that Jesus did a pretty good job at living a very good life. So years ago, there was a Christian psychiatrist named Frank Lake who, uh, who met with all these people, um, and they all wanted to live you know, significant lives and do great things for a great cause, but all these people just kept burning out, that the demands, the stresses, the difficulties just all got too much for him, and they were burning out. And so he got together with a Swiss theologian named Emil Brunner, and they began to reflect on the life of Jesus, and they noticed that there seemed to be this kind of like pattern to Jesus's life. There, there seemed to be this kind of like cycle to it, this rhythm, that even though Jesus faced enormous difficulty, enormous stress, enormous demands and disappointment, never once did he become unloving or sarcastic or burnt out. That there was this divine rhythm to Jesus' life where grace was constantly flowing into him and constantly flowing out of him to others. And so years later... Uh, two guys, John Ortberg and Dallas Willard, caught on to this study that had been done years ago about Jesus' life, and uh, and they gave a name to this kind of cycle, this divine cycle of grace flowing into him, grace flowing out of him, and and they called it the cycle of grace. And this is this is what it is. It's it's acceptance, sustenance, significance, and achievement. We're, we're going to get into all of that, but, but before we take a look at Jesus' life and how we lived in this cycle of grace, I want to propose a phrase that Jesus said that kind of um, gives us an idea of what this rhythm of grace looks like. So Jesus once said, come to me. Come to me, all you. Notice that that's all of us. He's not, he's not excluding anyone. Come to me, all you, who are weary and heavy burdened. I'll admit, that's me most weeks, right? Right? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So for anyone who knows what a yolk is, uh, no, Jesus is not talking about the yellow part of an egg. Uh, a yolk, um, you might notice that there's like a paradox here of what Jesus is saying. Because a yolk is something that you put on an ox to put them to work to plowing a field. And Jesus says, my yolk is easy. No yolk is easy, Right? 
But Jesus is acknowledging something here that, that we all have a yoke placed upon us. We, we all have something that's placed upon us. Whether we notice it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, and whether we like it or not, we all have something that has been placed upon us. And so our aim, our aim is not to have easy circumstances, Because if that's our aim, to have easy circumstances, then everything else in our life is going to be really hard because we'll constantly be disappointed. But Jesus says the aim is to have an easy soul. And if you aim at having an easy soul, your capacity for tackling difficult things will actually increase. Jesus says, you know, the soul, the soul's not made for an easy life. But the soul is made for an easy yoke. So here again, this is what Jesus says in just a different translation, a more modern one. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Man, I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Watch and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And here's the unforced rhythms of grace. Acceptance. Sustenance. Significance. And achievement. And so let's start at the top. Because that's where you always have to begin. Acceptance. Now, Jesus experienced a lot of rejection throughout his life. I mean, heck, he was executed for it. But from the very beginning of his life, Jesus knew that he was accepted by the one that mattered most to him. And that no matter what he did, nothing could ever change that. That when Jesus started his ministry, he, he went down to the Jordan River to be baptized. You, some of you might remember this story. And that as he was coming up out of the waters of being baptized, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven came from above and it said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's acceptance. And you know what? God is speaking the same words over you and me. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved child. And no human rejection could change the acceptance from his heavenly father. But so often, so often we spend our lives trying to seek the acceptance of other people instead of claiming our acceptance and our identity that comes from Christ. It says in Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when we accept the fact that God accepts us, not because of anything that we have done, not not because we have earned it, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, then we hear those words from God. This is my boy. This is my girl. This, this is my child. My beloved, with whom I am well pleased. 
See, for Jesus, his acceptance and his identity came before any achievement that he would have in his ministry. That this was a joy that no one could take away. And he knew. He knew that you could not earn acceptance. And that acceptance is what sustained him throughout his entire ministry. That immediately after Jesus is baptized, he goes out into the wilderness where he fasts, and there he's tempted for 40 days, and he's tempted by Satan. And Satan comes to him and says, okay, so if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread and feed the masses. That if you are the Son of God, go, go and do something spectacular. That, that, in, that in other words, don't listen to the voice. <laughs> Don't listen to your heavenly father. Prove it, earn it, do something spectacular. Make it about you. And Jesus said in every temptation, I know who I am. And I know whose I am. And I don't need to do anything to prove my identity to anyone. Sustenance. And that sustaining grace is what led Jesus to lead a life that was, I think we would all say, it was pretty significant. And you know, we were all created to live lives that would make a difference beyond ourselves. That the root of that word significance is sign. That our lives are meant to be signs that point to something beyond ourselves. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, that our lives are meant to be a sign that points back to God. That whenever Jesus did something significant, it wasn't about him, but it was always a sign that pointed back to God. And so Jesus, you know, he didn't feed the multitudes so that they could know what he did. He fed the multitudes so that they would know who he was. Jesus didn't heal people so that they could know what he was capable of. Jesus healed people so that they would know who he was. And yet we often wait for the applause of the world to affirm our significance. But here's the truth. I am not significant because of anything that is outside of God. That I am significant because of the one who created me, who redeemed me, and who now lives within me. That you are significant because of the one who created you, who redeemed you, and who now lives within you. And so, just kind of a heart check question. Let let me ask, do you know who you are apart from your money? Do you know who you are apart from your possessions? Do you know who you are apart from your power, your position? Do do you know who you are? The significance is about who we are before it is about what we do. But what we do matters, right? And so Jesus, Jesus did a whole lot. He, He achieved a whole lot within his life. He taught He healed, he befriended, he recruited, he redefined what love and mercy and justice are for us. He launched the greatest movement in human history that was so significant that over 2,000 years later, we're still gathering in his name. But here's the thing, he achieved all of that because of his identity that was first founded in God. 
And you know his greatest achievement? His greatest achievement was to go to the cross to forgive the sins of the entire world and then raise from the dead to overcome the grave. And yet he knew ahead of time that not everyone would acknowledge this achievement, that not everyone would notice the significance of it. He knew that. And yet the invitation still stood. Come to me. Come to me, all of you, and I will help you find rest. Walk with me. Work with me. If you're worn out, if you're burdened, if you're heavy laden, I'll help you recover your souls. I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of grace, acceptance, sustenance, significance, achievement. But you know, so, so often, so often we work against this cycle. And it's not really our fault. I mean, this is the way that our world just operates and we're kind of stuck in it. That instead we, we find ourselves in the flow of, of a different cycle, a cycle that we might call the cycle of works. And the cycle of works is, is simply just the opposite. It's going backwards against the tide of grace. But the cycle of works starts when we begin trying to achieve some impressive accomplishments through our own strength for our own ego so that we might find significance in this world, hoping that that feeling of significance will sustain us long enough until somebody else notices and then we find some acceptance from someone else. That if I can only achieve something, then that will make me feel significant I hope that that feeling sustains me long enough for for someone else to notice and accept me. But here's the thing, if that acceptance is ever called into question, if that acceptance is ever at risk, then what we have to do is we have to run back to try to achieve something else that will be significant, make us feel significant, that will sustain us until maybe somebody else will accept us again. Y'all, that's a heavy burden, That's a hard yoke. Is that winning? Is it? Certainly there must must be a better way. There must be an easier way to live. But where to begin? Come to me, all of you, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I don't know what God will have you accomplish in your life. I, I don't know what the win is for you. But what I do know is that that cycle of works that we're all just a part of and sometimes we're just so addicted to it, I know that that cycle of works will keep us spinning, trying to find significance, trying to find acceptance. And I've sat with enough people at the end of their lives to know that you won't achieve much if you don't first accept who it is that God says that you are. And so to all who are weary, or heavy, that invitation still stands. That there is another way. And it starts by accepting the fact that Jesus Christ accepts you. That you are a child of God. You are a person of worth. 
starts by accepting that. Because without that, you're just doing life on your own. And you will become quick to become weary and burdened. And you know, many of us, have, we've, we've heard this before. I mean, we've heard, yeah, God loves you, right? We may have even accepted that, yeah, God, God does love me, and I, I accept that love. But, but so often it, it stays just an idea up in our minds where God really wants it to move from our, our head down to our heart, but the longest distance in the entire world is the distance between our head and our heart. And so before you, before you leave this place today, here's, here's what I, I need you to hear. And I need you to hear it from here because you're not going to hear it out in the world that runs on this cycle of works. What I need you to hear is that you, 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 you are a beloved child of God. And that no one, nothing can change that acceptance. Acceptance.